Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Nicole, thank you for calling in this morning. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so uh, tell our listeners where you're calling from. So I'm calling from Reno, Nevada. Uh, we have a little grocery store, a member-owned food co-op that we have started in 2005. Um, and we also have a food hub that is a department of the grocery store. And so I'm calling you from our, our little warehouse space oh. where we operate our food hub. Oh, perfect. So the reason, so you and I met a couple months ago when I was out doing boot camp for Food Hubs, and I was so impressed by your story. And um, I mean, the whole story going back to the starting of the co-op, because I think there aren't, uh, you know, as I travel around the country, there are a lot of people who are interested in starting a, a, a food co-op in a smaller community. Now, We'll we'll talk about that um, because Reno isn't so small anymore. But um, but just the whole story of how you started this co-op is so fascinating. So I'm hoping that we could go back to the beginning and and what prompted you and your sister to start this thing. Okay. Yeah. So we were in our, I guess, in our early 20s, and I was really learning about permaculture and gardening, and she was really interested in nutrition and um, cooking and things like that, and so we just had a, we had a nice garden, and we were growing our food and learning, learning things, and we had to ride our bike down Virginia Street, which is the main strip in Reno, but as you go south from the downtown, it's just, um, it's not very people friendly. It's just a car, car culture, I guess. Oh, sure. So, so we'd ride our bikes down there in the gutter because there was no, no bike lane and go to Wild Oats. That was like the organic, the, the store that had organic foods at the time. And we'd go buy our groceries and, and then we just decided we want to make our own grocery store so we don't have to do this anymore. And it can be in our neighborhood and we can access the foods that, that we want to. So, um, she went to the to the library and she got any book she could find on food co-ops. And um, at the same time, there were some other people in the community that were doing some similar research. Um, and we all found each other through flyering and we started having meetings and potlucks with farmers. And there's farmers that were interested in getting their food out there um, and getting I guess on the bandwagon with the local food movement and knowing that people wanted to access local food more and beyond just the markets or a CSA. So everybody came together at, at um, the same time and we, we started a little buying club out of our house and just started um, collecting food from the farmers at the farmer's markets and bringing that over and then um, doing a little buying club through UNFI um, and a little uh, vegetarian restaurant, Pneumatic Diner, that was going at the time, helped us with that. Um, and so, and we charged a little markup off of that. And so mm-hmm. we saved, after about six months, we saved about $800. And 
And so that was the point where we bought our first bulk bins and our jelly belly. They were old jelly belly bulk bins. And what a friend. And you put them up in your living room or where did you put them? <laughs> so by that time we had a, this, uh, guy that owned a hardcore punk record store his name's joe ferguson a hardcore the- <laughs> punk record store uh-huh <laughs> yeah and it, it's called the sound and the fury uh-huh it, he had about a hundred square feet in the back that he wasn't using and uh-huh. he, he was also part of the meetups of trying to start the buying club and the food co-op and he said why don't we use this space and you guys can the co-op can pay me rent once we have it. And mm-hmm. and so we opened up shop in 100 square feet with bulk bins and three domestic refrigerators and a couple shelves. And What a hoot. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. had uh, 600 member owners just by word of mouth within the six months. That is amazing. So at the time this happened, how many people actually lived in Reno? Like Reno is a pretty big place, but it's a lot of tourists, isn't it? Uh, I'm not quite sure on those numbers. I, and I, I definitely didn't like roughly. Track, but I, I want to say there was like 300, 350,000 people and now we're over five, mm. I think. And it's, it's this whole conglomeration, Reno Sparks kind of melds into each other. So it's this whole greater area. Right, right. Okay. And, and it's growing really fast now, right? Yeah. It's, growing super fast right now um there's a lot of businesses moving in there's a lot of um growth in the outer areas like mm-hmm. more towards the rural areas where we get sourced a good amount of our local food here um mm-hmm. and yeah people are spilling in and it's filling up yeah so back when you started though um i i my my sense about Reno at the time was it wasn't growing as fast back then um and and is, aren't you in the desert like how do you have farmers who are growing things around Reno Yeah we are in the desert it's um some people think we shouldn't even be living here because there's you know there's it's just we have a very short growing season it's cold nights hot days in the summer and then Mm. very cold winters and it's very erratic too so it can be really hot in the winter sometimes or it can snow in January Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah we do have people that have been farming here for I think one of our biggest farms that we work with Latin farms they're out in Fallon which is about an hour east of Reno Mm -hmm. Um, they've been farming since the early 1900s and um, they're pretty famous out there for their melons they have like the, the alkaline, more alkaline. Oh right, here. right. And um, isn't the, isn't those cool nights? Doesn't that bring out the sweetness in melons? Yeah, that's true, and the berries as well. So, mm. so it, when we do get berries and good crops of them, they're very sweet, and you can't really beat the ones that we get from over the mountains in California. Oh sure. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people doing season extension hoop houses and greenhouses and all sorts of stuff so we have we do have the capacity i'm not sure what it looks like for ratios of of land use and Mm -hmm. farmers having access to land especially as things fill in and water but um we we do have people growing things we have um, a new aquaponics facility in dayton which is about 45 minutes south of reno Mm -hmm. um and so they're doing the tilapia and the um, greens and tomatoes and, mm-hmm. and 
edible flowers and things like that, and they're doing it year-round. So mm-hmm. Well, Wesh, that's kind of inspiring. I mean, it could be because if you could develop a local food shed like that around Reno, you could do that pretty much anywhere. I mean, given given the harshness of the climate for growing. Right. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. It's amazing. And and indoor growing it is more water efficient, right? For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the guys at Dayton Valley Aquaponics um are really proud of that they can use the water mm-hmm. um more efficiently. I don't know the numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but yeah, and their facility is really impressive, not only with water use, but also with their um it's all run off of pellets, the energy, and mm. it's this whole complicated computer system that senses how much light there is and how much, you know, when to pull the shades off. And mm. um, it's a pretty amazing system that's wow. built. Wow. 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 Okay. So now we're back in the hundred square feet behind the punk record shop. So the punk thing mm-hmm. um, helps us imagine where we are in time it's great so uh, (laughs) all right so here you are and you and your sister in your early 20s and you decide you're going to do this and you're in a hundred square feet and then what happened like how did you grow so you had you said in six months you had 600 members and were they actively shopping or it's sometimes when these co-ops are trying to get started they get members people sign up to be a member but they don't shop and then that kind of falls apart so yeah yeah i can see that happening that these guys all came out of their way walked through the loud punk music to the Mm. back of of the store where we were and yes they were they were signing up and they were actively shopping and so it just must have been the right place at the right time for all these people that really want to out of their way and do it and I think one thing that did help which has changed since then um, is that we were all 100% volunteer run mm-hmm. and so everybody all the owners were usually workers and they were we call them hands-on owners and um, they're pretty invested so they'd be at their shifts they'd be saying you know um, what food we had and they'd tell their friends about it and they just were more involved with it so I think that that really helped things um, in the early, in the initiating days. Sure, sure. So, okay, so how long did you stay in that, in your 100 square feet? So I think it was about a little less than a year uh, uh-huh. we were there. And the, at the time, you know, digital music was coming up, and and so the records were kind of going out. And so they, their business was shrinking, and ours was growing, so we mm-hmm. swapped places with them. <laughs> and we did that for <laughs> another year and we had like the larger storefront area um mm-hmm. and just continued to grow that way and and then we we were actually a private buying club because we didn't have the right facility that we needed oh, to okay to sure. the floor drains and stuff to be mm-hmm. open to the public so you had to be a member owner to come in mm. and shop and we wanted to be open to the public and we wanted to be able to take um, EBT and mm-hmm. and things like that and be more accessible. So we got an offer from some people more in the downtown area of Reno and this little tiny 500 square foot building, um, but it had really good visibility on the cor- on a corner, kind of a busy corner downtown. And um, so they offered they offered us that space, and so we took it on. And we had 
member owners that were designers and all sorts, you know, there's just all sorts of trades that people had that came together that wanted this, you know, local food and healthy food and stuff like that. And so we had a really great team to help design everything as efficiently as we could and, and, and move in there. So we were, I think that was in 2008 when we opened up down there. Right, right. So that was three years till you were in probably what you could call your first official, um, your, you know, like really a, a shop space, it sounds like. Yeah. And then, then yeah. did you get licensed to be a grocery store at that point when you moved yeah, in there? We, yeah. Yeah. We, we got all of our health department permits and we were open to the public. Um, and, and we were open every single day of the week, and we had mm-hmm. enough staff and volunteers. Um, by that point, we had just hired our first two employees just before we had moved, and that was actually, I guess, at the end of 2008. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, and we were... We were Until then, was it really just you and your sister doing this? No, not at all. It was a lot of... I mean, there's been hundreds of people over the years that have mm-hmm. put in a lot of time and energy and insight into getting to the next place, you know, the next sure. little landing pad and mm-hmm. um, and holding it on until somebody else could hold that piece. So, mm-hmm. so definitely not. It was a lot of people. We are also in conjunction with the Great Basin Basket, which was a CSA that was out of Latin Farms, the farm I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. out in Fallon, and, and um, aggregating all that food and building the boxes and things like that. So it's kind of the birth of a few different organizations mm-hmm. happening. Interesting, yeah. Okay, so now you're in your own store. And you have some employees, and you're open seven days a week. And how long were you in that location? And then we were there for about two years, I guess. It would be mm-hmm. just about two years, a little over. Um, and then we hit $1 million in sales. Wow. I guess we, we broke records for sales per square foot. Um, because mm-hmm. we were in such a small space and we just got really creative every day, you know, taking in our, our orders from the farmers and UNFI and everything and just having it all fit in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, we had a really great team of hands-on owners. We would always have one paid employee on at all times pretty much. And then mm-hmm. a whole few of everybody that would help that was really knew what they were doing because they had to figure out these systems pretty much. So. Right, right. Um, yeah, so then once that happened, uh, we had our, we had started looking for new places around Reno so that we could expand because we were getting pretty crunched by that point. We had also started renting an office next door and we had a couple fridges in there yeah. for back <laughs> right, stock. Right. Um, do you remember little, what your sales were per square foot back then? I don't know. I guess a million and the retail space was. 500 square feet. So, oh, my goodness. It's a lot. So, yeah. 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 It was, yeah. It's a lot. Okay, cool. All right. So, and you hit fridges in your offices next door, and you're busting at the seams. And then, yep. so how did you market at that point? Or did was it really just your membership who did? Yeah, no, it was just word of mouth. Uh-huh. We, you know, we would make some silly flyers and stuff like that, but we kind of laugh at them now because 
Like, here's our early flyers for, you know, what we had locally in the store, our, our seedling sale, which is our biggest event of the year. Um, but, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. It was mm-hmm. just flyers and word of mouth. Flyers and word of mouth. And was there a, so that that store that you were riding your bicycle to before you started, was that still in existence during this period? Um, I think I can't remember exactly when the change happened, but Whole Foods had moved. The I think it was the second largest one on the West Coast had moved in to town, and that and that ended wild oats. They oh, right, and, okay. And Whole Foods opened up a little further south than that down Virginia, so mm. a little further away from downtown. Okay. Um, and I I think it was open by the time. I'm pretty sure it was. I think it happened while we were at that 500 square foot location. Right. So even <laughs> though Whole Foods had a store there and you had Wild Oats before, you still had all these members who wanted to be members and see a co-op happen. Yeah. Yeah, and why do you think that is? Um, I think just because it's it's different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, it's co- for one, it's location for some people. For mm-hmm. some people, our store doesn't work for them because it's not in their neighborhood. And um, but for them, they wanted something that they liked the idea of having a community-owned grocery store, mm-hmm. um, having some input actually buying directly from the local farms, being able to go to the farms, meet the farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a lot of farm tours with people in the past and membership and employees and things like right. that. And, you know, you get to see them when they come in and deliver. And right. Like that. So they, they felt, I think it was, they felt connected to the food. They felt like it was a good thing to be a part of and to have ownership um over so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's my guess I'm sure there's a lot of reasons yeah yeah but I I it's I think that's really important you know because I I think that's one of the things that people grapple with when they're when they're thinking of doing a store like this you know how are you going to be different from what's there so and and the answer to that is probably different now than it was then but anyway okay so where did you go next so then we did our, our searching around several different locations around Reno, and uh, we ended up at a location even more downtown Reno. Um, uh, it's right by, if anyone's familiar, the Truckee River runs right through Reno. It goes from Lake Tahoe and to Pyramid Lake and okay. runs right through downtown Reno. And so we're pretty much right next to it um, by a park called Wingfield Park and near the courthouse. And it's a three story building. Wow. It's not ideal. I was going to say, people would not like say, oh yeah, three stories. That's a great idea for a grocery store. (laughs) So when you went in there, were you just using the first floor? No, we were using, we started out, um, we started out with the build out for everything we would need to start our deli so that we had like the grease traps and everything in and Mm -hmm. eventually so the kitchen was in the basement, so there's production down there. And we did start out right away with some of that, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some offices, we had our, have our offices down there as well, so it wasn't un, unused. Um, and our retail is all on the main floor and upstairs on the third floor where we did our, like, our wellness and body care and stuff like that up there. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you people get their cards, shopping carts up there? <laughs> yeah, we have an elevator. There's an uh, elevator. 
we have an elevator, but a lot of times, I mean, over the years, people had been shopping there for years. I didn't know there was enough stairs up here, you know? Yeah, I so, bet. <laughs> so, yeah, and now we've, we've actually just opened our cafe, oh. on the on the top level, and so we switched all of the wellness and body care onto the main floor with everything else. So, oh, boy. So now it's, it's all compressed, and some people are happy with the cafe and some are really missed that they had that little special place up there, but um, it's, it's in constant development. And I think the point where we were in our last store, we have, we have a lot we can work with as far as space, even though it, it does feel a little bit more mm-hmm. um, filled up, but we don't still have room to work with. So how many square feet is the main floor? I think it is about 3,000, 3,000 okay. square feet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for a grocery store, that's not that big. Yeah, it's not. It's still a tiny, I mean, I, I think of our last stores as tiny, so to me this is like Right, it's huge, but, right, yeah. Yeah, but it is. It's a tiny, tiny grocery store in the world of, of grocery stores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it is amazing how much food you can have in a space that big. It is, yeah. And we were we were told, you know, warned, I guess, not mm-hmm. to move into a facility like this because of the receiving. Like we have a ramp that goes up and mm-hmm. getting pallets up there, and you know, oh, I bet it's the uh, yeah, yeah. Come in. yeah. So it's it's definitely not ideal um, mm-hmm. for that. But when everything was weighed out at the end of the day, it was um, the one that was decided on by our board and. Mm-hmm and our staff and and it, it is it's working it's working and and why do and you it, think it's working is it because the it, there's so it's a just such a great location for for business is that why it works I don't know that's I guess it's a little bit of a mystery we are in a an area downtown where there's it's right by the courthouse there's a lot of people working around there that you know come get their lunches or snacks and things mm-hmm. like that um and the people that, you know, we don't have the best parking, mm-hmm. it's Reno, it's not, you know, it's not anywhere that's like, you know, like the Bay Area, so it's mm-hmm. like easy breezy compared to that, but for Reno people, they're, you know, used to like big parking lots and right. to pull right up, and and so that, I think that has deterred some people from us, but it's also like, as, you know, more people come and move into this area, it's just going to get, you know, more and more congested and having access. It's the only grocery store in down. I think it definitely has filled in a little food desert down there. It's the only grocery store besides, you know, the corner mini marts and stuff that have chips and things like that um, mm-hmm. for miles. For miles? Wow. Yeah, there's, I, I now that I'm thinking about it, I think there's, um, there is a little store that opened kind of like a corner store style uh, about flat, maybe six blocks away now that has opened since we've opened. And then mm-hmm. there's the main grocery store that's the closest is probably two miles, maybe a mile and a half. I'd have to look it up. But. Are there more people living downtown now too? I think it's it's changing, but some like they've converted a lot of the casinos into condos and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So okay. It's changing, but I I think it's still a lot of people that live downtown, like the median income is pretty low. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of um, elder people as well. Mm-hmm. And so for them to go even find our store, know about it, and then to walk 
walk around with their groceries. I don't know how easy that is for them to do, but right. So, what is the um, the demographics of your shopper? I mean, what what do they look um, like? I think I guess on the surveys when we do surveys, that's probably different too because certain people take surveys. But it is you know, I guess um, middle aged and white mm-hmm. and. And when you come into our store, you definitely see a range of of people um, and ages and things like that. But um, interesting. So, so you think that your survey probably isn't representative of who really is shopping? I, I think it, it's close. It's not. It's just like you know, the people that are going to take the time and do the survey or even right. check their emails and stuff like that mm-hmm. is a little bit of a different group. But right. But, yeah, I mean, we do have a lot of, I think we do have a lot of youth and younger and a good range of age Mm -hmm. of shoppers in our store. Mm -hmm. Um, So is grab-and-go a big thing in your store? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, We've been doing our our grab-and-go stuff since Mm -hmm. the beginning, Um, even though we didn't have, like, a cafe where you could order food for a while um, and sit down and eat. But, yeah, it is, I... I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it is, it's starting to take over as like the top percentage of the store. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think that's um, kind of when I talk to people in, in the food co-op world, a lot of them are saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we talked about that too. And it's, it's interesting because it's like we want to reduce packaging and we want to. I know. And you want to. Yeah. And I joke that, you know, I, I'm, you know, the bulk buying out of the bulk bins, but it's gone from that to people don't even want to cook. You know, it's, it's funny. It's, right. it's just very, very different, but it, it's such a great opportunity to get healthy food from local ingredients and all of that. If you don't want to cook or you want a healthy lunch. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one thing at the first, after the first boot camp, there was a, I think it was the Farmers Guild, um, where were we in Davis? We were in Davis. Mm-hmm. And they had a guy from the grocery store in San Francisco by right, right. there. Mm-hmm. And he was talking and he was, their grocery store is really something that we've looked up to. We've done field trips and to go visit them. And um, just as far as how they, they purchase and how they run their operations. Nice. Yeah. Space and just looking at what we can learn from them. And, and one thing, that we really liked hearing that they did is they did it. They do a cooking school and they just because they're seeing right, that people are people losing the ability, ability to cook. cook. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we would like to do that too. Um, we, we've always kind of dreamt of having like a nonprofit arm of the, our grocery store that can do um, nutrition, education, farmer advocacy, farmer resources and things like that. But mm-hmm. um well, everything in its time. You guys are um, amazing entrepreneurs, so I have no doubt that if you set your mind to it, you would make that happen. So, okay, so now you are, we're kind of at the current state of the store, and what are your sales now, annual sales? So last year we did about $5 million in sales. Mm-hmm. What do you think you're going to do this year? I think we're not growing as fast as we have been. You know, we had years where we had 30% growth for the whole store and one of the fastest growing co-ops in the nation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, our growth isn't, it's actually even this year, we've had some negative growth so far. And we're not sure if it's because there's a huge road project right next to our store that's blocking off. It's kind of like cut off this whole part of town. Yeah, well, now <laughs> it sounds like it would do it. <laughs> yeah, so I think that that's part of it. Um, but we're just not growing as fast. It's looking more like 10, 15%, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think incrementally this year, and um, but I think... I think once we get our cafe really dialed in and going, that's going to make a big, big difference, and it might mm-hmm. pick up again. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so even five million is an impressive. This is not a little co-op anymore, right? I mean, in the world of co-ops, it's yeah. probably a medium-sized co-op now. Right? I think we graduated to like a small medium co-op. A small medium. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, and downtown is still feeling like a good location, or? Yeah, it is. It's feeling like um, there's a lot a lot of untapped potential, um, a lot more that we can do. We're petitioning the city to turn our street into a one-way street and have more parking alongside, like mm-hmm. one-hour parking and stuff like that. Um, so hopefully some dynamics of helping the flow be better and easier for people to access because there there are people that come and they can't find anywhere they just drive off. Right, of course. So yeah. So yeah, it is, and it's also what we've always hoped for is that we can really get a good system down and um, things in place so that we can use it as a model and open up little satellites in different neighborhoods around town. Mm, interesting. So so when did you get your board, your first board? Was that way, way in the beginning? Did you have a board or did you? Yeah. Yeah. We did. We started out um, right away with the board of directors, you know, mm-hmm. going through all the process of figuring out how to do bylaws and set up the business and things like that. And right. So, so yeah, we started off with a board, and it's definitely transformed immensely over the years. So that the basically the board just focuses on on policies and mm-hmm. meeting our members' goals and the purpose of our store, um, and stays out of operations. It's right. Policy policy governance. Right. <laughs> right. So when did you implement the policy governance? Uh, I want to say that was probably around the time that we moved into our current location in mm-hmm. 2012. Right, um, right. Because there just had been a lot of, um, I think it can take a lot of energy away from what the goal, the actual goal is of the cooperative when it gets really muddled and messy in that way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, and you're also oh, probably about that time you weren't members, how to say this, in, Hired employees were becoming a more important part of the store, I would guess, right? That's, yeah, that's true. It mm-hmm. definitely was. I think before we moved into the current location, the most we had at a time was five, and they weren't even all, you know, full-time employees. Half yeah. Half. yeah. So how many employees do you have now? Now it's kind of, it fluctuates, but it's like in between 40 and 50. Yeah, that's great. Just think of all the employment you're generating. Yeah, yeah. It's really great to think about that. It is. It is. It's a big economic impact, I think. 
Um, so, so back to, to, so policy governance, you started, did you train your board? Is that how you implemented that? Cause that's a big difference, right? Board members mm-hmm. always want to like tell you, you know, how to rearrange the aisle, you know, <laughs> right. Why don't you have some, you know, some product or something, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we definitely had to do that. And I can't take any credit. My sister Amber found the resources. She found the um, people to come train us. Mm -hmm. And she's been really active with that over the years and um, just doing train, basically trainings and retreats for our board every single year. And budgeting for it and and making that a priority because it makes a, a world of a difference. Yeah, I bet. I bet because, yeah, because people don't come to, you know, there aren't that many people who have experience with um, being on a board, never mind being on a co-op board, right? It's a different beast. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's good. And is your is your sister, Amber, not the, the GM? Yeah, she's the GM of the of the business of the Great Basin Co-op. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So another thing you guys did was get clarity about leadership and roles. When did that happen? Yeah, that happened around the same time. Um, I'd say it was it was marinating at the the last little 500 square foot location. Mm-hmm. We were trying all sorts of different things, like okay, let's be um, function off of consensus, and we only right. had five five employees. And it was extremely difficult. Um, <laughs> I bet. It was, yeah, it just took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and yeah, getting on the same page and learning these communication skills and learning, you know, it's not anything that we all grew up with or knew how to do. And so it was challenging for sure. And by the time it, it was good because we, we got a glimpse into what that looks like and how you can do it. But, um, at the end of the day, people wanted to have more of their own time to themselves, and we just wanted to get this done. And and so mm-hmm. we elected to go for a general manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and ironically, that that you know that it's just growth pains, right, for an organization. Um, you start out that you don't even have to be a co-op, and you tend to start out that way in terms of you know. Leader, there's leadership, but everybody does everything, and eventually, as you grow, that has to change. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so when did you start your food hub? So the food hub was born in that 500 square foot location, but we didn't even realize it was. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we had been just from the people that came to our store and some chefs and things like that. Um, that would say, oh, I'm going to make some, put up some salsa or I want to do some pickles and, or the chef was looking for food for the restaurant. And so just because we were there and we had really tight communications because there was only a few of us, um, it was really easy to stay on the same page with everybody. And, and so we would send out emails every week saying what the farms had. And then we, we'd go back and forth. Okay. I want this. And then say, all right, well, let me call the farmer. How much is it? When do you come in, you know, and organize all that stuff. And, and so we were we were aggregating and serving as a collection point for just beyond the retail grocery stuff that we were doing, like cases of of things when they were in season and um, things that the chefs wanted to order. So that was basically when it started happening. And then we 
we got the idea we needed to get more organized on it so we weren't always running around and so mm-hmm. we um we had a great uh volunteer hands-on owner at the time and and he took he wanted to take it on and so he he organized um with a grant through the department of agriculture to initially get some shelving and um build a website for it mm. <laughs> we didn't know that we didn't know that anyone else was doing the same thing and there might be something else out there. So we just, we started building a website, um, so that the farmers could post their products and have a set price and a set day that they would deliver and a set day that the customers would pick up. And, um, and it was actually all the same day because we didn't have any storage. So it was basically in the same hour. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> not a lot of choice there. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how it got started, and we actually launched it officially when we moved into our current location in February of 2012. Okay. And, and named it named it Drop Distributors of Regional and Organic Produce and Products, and then mm. um, just kept kind of slowly building. You know, it wasn't anything that we gave a ton of energy or hours to, but um, just people came to us, and we slowly built it up so that we could. Actually, it was intended to bring food into our store more efficiently. Yeah, I was going to say because you were, you, it really is. It grew out of the um, trying to be more efficient in how you how you bring food in. Yeah. So yeah. rather than, I mean, we were doing the same thing with whatever we buy local. We were just like, we want local food. We'll take it. We'll be here anytime. We can bring it in. We don't even know the price yet. Like. Mm-hmm, so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was to just bring some organization around that. And right. So, yeah. Right. So, so it started and you developed this website. Do you still use that website? No, we don't. We found pretty quickly that it wasn't, it wasn't meeting all of our needs. We had to do a lot of, a lot of extra little side work right. to make it. To make it work. Mm-hmm. And now that I look back on it, it's like we're still, even with what we have today, we have our own, because every food hub is different mm-hmm. um, and meets a little bit of a different need in a different climate. And um, we we do our own little side work, on, even on the software that we, we lease today. So mm-hmm. since then, we built another website. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got further with that one, we were like, oh, my gosh, there's so many other layers to this that we never thought about. And do we start over? What do we do? And and by that time, we found Local Food Marketplace and, and had learned about other software platforms around the country and researched them and decided to go with that one. But so now we're on the third one that we rent. So are you still um, running the hub as kind of a department within the overall co-op? Yeah, it's the department of the Great Basin Food Co-op. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's growing really slowly with the infrastructure of the store, um, mm-hmm. using the, you know, the shaded hallway, the fridges, um, that we could squeeze things in, free, a little bit of freezer space, stuff like that. And eventually we got our own, um, started leasing a refrigerated truck. Um, it'll be almost two years in July that we've mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, before it was everybody coming and picking up and basically it was still the farmers coming that morning and then all the customers coming right after that to make it work. Um, but this enabled us to have um, separate out a receiving day and and then the delivery days after that. Mm, and so we, right, we so you could store. 
a yeah, little we bit. deliver to our restaurant business customers, and then our member owners can order through, and they pick up at our store. Mm, I see. Interesting. So do all of your departments within the co-op get financial results, you know, monitored and feedback so the managers of the department, you know, somebody like you can manage the financial life of your department? Yeah, we do. We have benchmarks for every labor benchmarks and sales budget benchmarks for every single department that we set when we're doing our budgeting that starts in November. Mm-hmm. Um, of the previous year. And so we check in on them. All of the department leaders meet up once a week and mm-hmm. we check on, we go over all, all of our numbers, um, even though they're not really final in QuickBooks yet or anything, but we can, we can monitor as we go and we can um, be responsive to labor so that mm-hmm. we stay on point with that. Cause that's at first we weren't with, you know, and especially going from volunteer hybrid employees to, all employees. Um, right, that's a big shift in terms of the labor cost. Yeah. yeah. And so we weren't really paying attention to it, and it really got us one year. So mm-hmm. we it woke us up after that. And so we so we monitor it weekly, and then we do our monthly margin reports and check ins and quarterly and and that. So we we definitely keep a close uh, finger on the pulse with mm-hmm. all of those numbers. So do you have a controller kind of person in your organization, or is that Amber? Uh, Yeah, I don't even know what that is, but I know it's her. <laughs> no, but the financial person, so usually, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is her. It is her, okay. She's got the eye in the sky looking at everything, and we, we are, you know, working to for more sustainability in that area, and so we're bringing up um, store managers, that are taking mm-hmm. more responsibility over just focusing on labor, you know, mm-hmm. and increasing sales and things like that. So, so we're working on, um, I guess, just making it a little bit more stable, not all depending on, you know, one person. Of course. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, part, more of that growth. So what do you guys see as the future for the co-op and for the hub? So. Let's see. I mean, we've done lots of visioning exercises with our membership over the years, and really what comes out of it is is having our purpose is to promote our local food system and serve as a sustainable cooperative model for access to wholesome food. Mm-hmm. And so it's just to keep keep on with doing that and, and really figure out good systems so that we can replicate them in different neighborhoods, grocery stores, whether it's like, um, I like how you said La Montanita had the kind of smaller footprint store because I went there a while back and went in a really big one and um, just fit to the, the needs of that neighborhood mm-hmm. or region. Right, right. Um, and be able to expand the access of food that way um, and also help our farmers um, gain capacity in this region so that we have food, you know, that we have more food security and that we have food to access. And after going to the last boot camp in um, Sonoma County and seeing Feed Sonoma and just hearing the stories of all the California food hubs that the trouble that farmers are having, uh, just having access to land and how that also increases the prices of food as well. And Mm so... And just seeing like, oh, all these people, now they're all kind of spilling in over here. And so that's happening here as well. So as much as we can do to help um, 
help farmers have, you know, the resources the that they need to be able to be on land and have like some community ownership or farmer ownership of the land is, is really important to us. Um, and yeah, I think just having something like a kind of like regenerative agriculture to where our model can renew itself and mm-hmm. help better the community around it by having access for people to food and for farmers to a market. Um, and as far as the food hub goes, we're not quite quite sure it's been just uh, up in the air for a long time is you know should it be a separate business owned by the food co-op um Mm -hmm. and after seeing feed sonoma i was really inspired by tim and what what they're doing there and they're working towards a farmer employee owned um food hub Mm -hmm. so that they can promote community ownership of their how did you say it micro by by biome I think it calls it a microbiome or bioregion. Bioregion. Yeah. Yeah. Bioregion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's, that's what I'm going to probably put on the table uh-huh. uh, as far as, as the food hub goes. I, I think it'll be really powerful if it is owned and has voice of the farmers. Yeah. They have insight into how it works and why, you know, where prices need to be and things like that and quality and packaging and, Packing, I'd say, um, needs to be. I think it'll it'll really get a lot more um, oomph behind it if the farmers are more mm-hmm. involved with it. Yeah, and I think one of the things I've seen with the farmer cooperative hubs is that that having that having the hub, you know, a vested interest in seeing the hub work, is helps the hub itself as a business, but it also seems to really help the farmer suppliers, right? That And I've seen the farms grow because the hub was there, right? So so the hub is kind of a um, marginally profitable entity because they're very difficult to make anything better than that out of them. But that kind of doesn't matter if the farm, if it's owned by the farmers and their own farms are growing. You know what I mean? That's kind of yeah. where the benefit sits then. Yeah, definitely. And that's just kind of what we need to, show people like some of the older farms here they're really on board with us and but I'm like gosh they're in their late 70s right now like mm-hmm. we gotta figure this out but um they're and this is the first this past year that we've seen um the food hub drop is buying more food for the other businesses combined than our store and that's the first oh interesting ever mm-hmm. happened so it's really making an impact in the some of the farms are really appreciative and noticing that and really wanting to work with us and see this work. And so, and then there's some other new, you know, newer farms that are like, okay, we're going to do CSA and markets and, and all these things. And so it's just a matter of um, what works best for them. And then as they mature as Mm -hmm. as farms and organizations too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can only scale so much direct marketing, right? So it's it's kind of a different beast, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the equivalent of going from a buying club to a co-op grocery store. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think as I, I think I've been listening to you and I'm sort of reflecting on this, that it, did you have um, building your food, local food system, was that part of your vision from the get-go? You know, because um, I, I, when I think about a lot of the retail co-ops that I have interacted with over the years, I mean, that's been part of what they're doing, but that wasn't really core to their mission. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, 
you know, or they, it's part of what they do, certainly. Um, but it was more just getting access to good food wherever right. it was coming from. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it actually was, it wasn't, we definitely had to craft that down. It took us several years to get to that, those mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely was from the beginning because we're in this place where, you know, there, it's a harsh environment. Um, and we saw that in order to have access to local food, we needed to promote our local food system. Right, right. And you bet that, um, serving that role was going to be, it's, it's differentiating for you in particular because of where you're, yeah, because of the harsh conditions. Yeah. And I guess that is why, you know, we have, we're not in the same level or vein as any other grocery store or Whole Foods or natural. Mm -hmm. Now we have natural grocers and sprouts and yeah, it's like, we're just in a different, we're on a different track than all of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you think that your average shopper in the store knows that? I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, um, they got to be a little bit kind of brave to come into our store. <laughs> even though <laughs> even though it says everyone's welcome, it's like, what is this place? It's pretty different than the feel of it and how it looks than any other grocery store you'll go to around town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so do you, how do you communicate that? And is it in signage around the store or do you have a – you know, I'm just I'm just wondering just tactically how you make sure that your members understand that that degree of commitment to building a, um, a sustainable food system locally is so inte- integral, integral. Yeah. That's how you say that uh, word um, to okay. what you do. Yeah, I think a lot of it is we have a lot of um, core shoppers and member owners that have been shopping for years that have gone out of their way. They've come to us first and got what they could from us when we didn't have it, you know, mm-hmm. the full selection and, and then they go get their other stuff elsewhere. But it's just over the years talking word of mouth members talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we're kind of finally starting to get on like where we can do a better marketing voice. We've, we've got a pretty good following on social media and things like that. Um, but we are working on some actual more paintings in our store and signage just really saying like, this is who we are. This is what our end, end goals are, you know, our ends are, our goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and really telling, putting that we have our food shed painted big on the wall. Um, but we're, we're still in the process of, of connecting the dots for everybody and I don't think that, I think some people just join too because they're like, oh, this is cool. Sure. You know, or or somebody asks you, and you're like, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think that everyone understands. I think enough people have been shopping for long enough and talked to people enough to really understand and be able to tell that story to uh, story to others in the community. Um, but we are, especially as we grow, we gotta get better and better and hone in on that so that anyone walking off the street could say, oh, this is why this grocery store is here. Mm-hmm. This is why me buying this piece of food is going to contribute to this mm-hmm. and really making that connection. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you got it as usual. Yeah, so what an inspiring – I just find you guys so inspiring because you took on a very big challenge and you were, you know, at a, at a young age you took on this giant challenge and so – Maybe it's maybe it's because you didn't know it was going to be hard that you did it, right? 
<laughs> Probably, yeah. I think we we really had no clue what we were getting into. No, no, we no. didn't know anything about margins or business or anything like that. We just sat with our calculator and did a little markup, and um, and so we had to learn a lot of things the hard way. But luckily, we've had one of the cooperative principles is cooperation among co-ops, and so we've had a lot of um, different neighboring co-ops and co-ops across the country help mentor and guide us and. Mm-hmm. The National Cooperative Grocers Association with all the data that they aggregate and the benchmarks and um so yeah, we really had no clue and it's probably I don't even know if you would even be able to comprehend if somebody told us what we were getting into, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can kind of I tell people you can tell people everything, but they're not ready to hear it all at once, right? So I think that's right. true with some of the training I do that. You could probably come back the next year and hear me do the same thing and learn a completely different set of stuff <laughs> just mm-hmm. because you're ready for it at that point. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So so on the horizon, you're thinking about these neighborhood, um, maybe some smaller entities around Reno and you know that with Reno growing as fast as I hear it's growing that could very well be a really good model for you yeah I think it is I mean there could be maybe like a bigger footprint store on the south end of town kind of more I guess sprawl sprawling kind of area Mm -hmm. uh, and more suited to what those kind of people like to shop at and then mm-hmm. yeah the small neighborhood grocery stores in different neighborhoods so that people have access to it so mm-hmm. so yeah that's really exciting and we're even hoping we might start a little tiny little store at our little food hub too so just with some snacks and a little bit of access to some food over um it's in sparks which is right next to reno mm. and they reno's so close to hell you can see sparks no, no. <laughs> that is really clever. I bet they, yeah. I, I, are there billboards like that around Reno or around no. Sparks? <laughs> no, not at all. It's uh, actually, it's a, it's a pretty, I don't know, it's a pretty nice place. I guess most people think of Reno as just the casinos and stuff. And it is a little weird downtown in some places, but there's a lot of, um, great access to the mountains and the desert um Mm -hmm. and yeah there's actually a lot of trees here um too so Mm. more than you'd think so there's there's a lot going on Hmm. and you're so and the hub is in sparks that yeah the hub's in sparks um we chose this location because it's close to the I-80, the interstate. Mm, okay, um, so food can come in easier, and you have a loading dock, I'm assuming. No, we don't have a loading dock. You don't? Small, we, it was too small of a jump. They say you need about 5,000 square feet to get a loading dock. Uh-huh. We're at almost 2,000 here. Mm. Well, you'll get there. Yeah, I think so. And it's mm. been it's been a good experience, even though I thought I knew I, what I was doing and moving into this location after doing all the co-op moves and stuff. Right, and I right. really didn't know what I was doing, and it was maybe a little harder than it needed to be, but um, I definitely feel good about a next expansion, which will be in the near future. Cool. Are you going to bring in different products, or what are you going to do? Um, well, hopefully we just are working on building up the local food mm-hmm. supply here, um, bringing in more local food, filling in the gaps of 
mm-hmm. um, the crops more evenly throughout the year, building up with our customers at the same time. Um, so hopefully it's just more local food, more more produce. Um, we do local meats through our store. We haven't done that through our hub yet, um, mm-hmm. but we do want to expand into that. We do a little bit of it, but not. It's it's kind of a little side thing. So we want to expand more into that. That's a huge part of our the local food access that we have in in this region, especially. I um, bet because people graze. Yeah. Yeah. And and we want to. I mean, we already like I said earlier, we're different. You know, every food hub's different, but we right. aggregate not just local food. We aggregate um, from our distributors for our customers. We aggregate mm. veritable vegetable, which is actually a food hub as well out of the Bay Area, and Earl's Organic Produce, United Natural Foods. Um, we aggregate. Uh, we if a, if one of our customers wants to access a distributor we have, we'll help set that up. And mm-hmm. and so we can fill in the gaps for what we don't have locally in the meantime while we're building up our local um, food supply. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, so it's just a lot of a lot of data that we aggregate because it's not just the local stuff; it's all these other distributor stuff that we're bringing in of course what portion of your what you're bringing in it is local now um well i mean as for the store goes it's it's uh 100 percent because that's all we do for the store is we bring in local and it's mm-hmm. lately i'd say the past few weeks what we bring into the store is about five to six thousand dollars a week of mm-hmm. local whether it be honey um produce um even like locally roasted coffees or locally made pasta sauces and salsas and things like that. Right. Um, so that's that portion. And then as far as for, for what we sell to the outside customers, the uh, other restaurants and private schools and, and, um, businesses like that, I'd, I'd say it's about, uh, it's hard to say. Um, I'd say it's about 60, 40. Maybe local 60 and 40% mm-hmm. the other stuff, but it fluctuates in the winter. It's going to be a lot more of the non-local stuff. Of course. We're trying to work more with Tahoe Food Hub and see how we can do the interhub transactions to where it's actually, but to the end customer affordable and accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All kinds of creative, smart work going on. Cause I, I, you know, I know from working with you that you're always working on the bottom line too. So, um, you pay close attention to all of that with all, with your distribution as well as your store. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's something, it's a completely different business doing mm-hmm. the, than the retail grocery is doing the wholesale distribution. Yeah. Um, so we definitely have, a lot to learn in this re- in this area as well, mm-hmm. and we luckily I got to take the University of Vermont um, Food Hub course two mm-hmm. winters back, and that was extremely helpful and eye opening, and and opened a world to network with you know other food hubs and what they're going through and how they do things, and to ask questions of the you know mm-hmm. anyone that's having success and how they do it. So. Mhm. Right. Well, and and you then you got to come to boot camp too with the other people from California who you kind of, it's funny cuz they've kind of adopted you as the, as a 
as a California <laughs> hub. <laughs> so cute, right? No, so yeah. sweet. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's not like there's a lot of other things going on in Nevada. So, yeah, and there's there's a lot going on in California. So that's it's productive, I'm sure, for you. Yeah, it's incredibly helpful yeah. to have access to all these people in your course. Yeah. Well, it has been, it's such a pleasure to work with you and to hear your story because as I said when we started, I don't know very many people who have um, successfully started and grown a, co- a retail co-op like you and your sister have and, and, and all of the support that you've gotten from the community. I, I, I just, I guess one question that remains with me is what, what would you say to people who are trying to do this and who really need to build the level of community support that you have seen? Yeah, I mean, now starting, say like we were going to start this now, mm-hmm. it would be a whole different ballgame because, it's you know, there's so many different variables and time at play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's really reaching out to your community and seeing what their needs are because co-ops exist to meet their members' needs. Mm -hmm. And luckily, what we were really passionate about was what our community at the time and still is extremely passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so everything ended up coming together. Um, And and I'd say, like, reaching out to other co-ops, really trying not to reinvent the wheel because there's already so much um, work that's been done that can be replicated and duplicated, but also fitting it to, you know, to the needs of your store is very, mm-hmm. very important. Um, Cause if you don't, you can get off track pretty quickly. And so really honing in on what your purpose is and why you're doing what you're doing um, and staying as true to that, like just having that be your beacon, mm-hmm. um, your lighthouse is like, it's pretty important because there's, I mean, if you get off track, like you can point, say an arrow in one direction. And if you just move it slightly, by the time it gets where it's going, it's miles off its course. So mm-hmm. um, not to say our, our, our path has been like that straightforward and clear or anything, but we've definitely been able to be responsive when we know we're getting off track and um, uh, definitely having a group of committed people is is pretty key because I've seen mm-hmm. some organizations go and then they have like six different managers within the first year and I, I just I wish them the best and I hope that they find some um, place that's gonna work and stay but I think you do have to have some level of um, like continuity mm-hmm. throughout there and also in like memory Right. Institution so that you're not doing a mistake that you made already the year before again. Mm-hmm. You just no, don't even know about it. So I'm sure there's lots of stuff, but we are, I mean, please reach out to us if anyone has questions. We're happy to point you to a person that might be a good help for you or give you any insight that we had with that situation. And sometimes this talk, getting on a phone call is the fastest, most direct way to do that. Yeah. Um, with everybody super busy trying to work on their projects and um. so it's been incredible to to meet and work with you as I said and um, it's been great to talk to you today and I can't wait to see what you guys are up to you got to stay in touch we will 
Okay. I'll be in touch with you. And yeah. I'm excited to hear what you get up to, too. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Thanks so much, and have a great rest of the day. Okay. You, too. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.